0: everyone, and good evening, and welcome to another Intelligence Squared US debate. My name is John Donvan, and I am the host and the moderator, and we're going to begin in about four and a half or five minutes. I just wanted to talk through um, a few of our procedures, particularly the ones where you, as members of our audience, are involved. This is a, a debate that will be televised and carried on more than 200 NPR stations across the nation, and to that end, you'll hear me throughout the evening. Uh, resorting to all sorts of boilerplate phrases like restating what the debate is, restating where we are, restating who I am, that kind of thing. It's all for coming back from breaks during the uh, broadcast on Bloomberg and on NPR stations. Um, And to that end, a couple of things that we'd like to ask you to do is to turn off your cell phones uh, because the microphones will pick them up. An exception we're making this time for the first time is if you are live tweeting the debate and you're not sitting in the first few rows near our microphones, Um, we'll be okay if you silence your phones. But other than that, we would like to have as few phones turned on as possible. Um, Also, in this debate, you as members of the audience have two critical roles. You uh, will choose the winner of this debate by a vote that we take with the keypad that's on the left side of your seat. And when the time comes... I will state the motion and we'll ask you whether you agree or disagree with the motion after hearing the argument. And if you agree, you'll push number one. If you disagree, you'll push number two. And if you're undecided, you push number three. And the other thing we're trying tonight that's a little bit different, we want to, at the very beginning of the evening, ask you to tell us your party affiliation or lack thereof. Um, And we want to afterwards see how the vote broke down along party lines. The other way in which we involve you critically and vitally is that about halfway through the debate, I'm going to come to you in the audience for questions to the debaters, and the purpose of those questions is to really move the debate along on the topic, on our motion. So if you'll raise your hand, I'll recognize you. There will be a, wonder, a microphone carried through the hall. We have three or four of them. We'll bring it to you. I'll ask you to stand up. Hold it about that far away from your mouth so that we can hear you. And then what I implore you to do is to really ask a terse question, not to debate with the debaters and not to state a very long premise. You know, a sentence or two of a premise is fine, and I'll be fine with that. But we really want you to ask a question that mixes the debate up, to it, making it even better than it is at that point. And I would like it to be something that's, you know, quite related to our motion language because that's what you're going to be voting on. So um, in a minute or two, our debaters will come out and we'll start the program. We love to hear from you throughout the debate. It's a a dynamic process. If the debaters can hear how you're responding, if you like what you hear, feel free to applaud. If you don't like what you hear, it's okay to groan. But we we want them to know you're here. We want them to get a sense from you of how how they're doing and how they think you're doing. So uh, I'll be back in just a minute, and we thank all of you for coming out to an entirely sold-out event, and uh, we're anticipating a really, really, really good set of arguments. Thank you. ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go right now to the, to the vote where we um, ask for your party affiliation or lack thereof. There's a keypad to the left of your seat, and uh, we have designated keypad number one to stand for Democrat, number two is Republican, and three is Independent, and three would also, I suppose, cover Communist Party and Libertarian, uh, et cetera. Sorry about that. Uh, But, (laughs) to a a degree, I think that's what's on the table, what we're discussing here tonight. Uh, So if you take just a minute to do that, and we'll lock it in, and then we'll begin the debate. Say again? Number one is for Democrat. Number two is for Republican. And number three, other or independent. And again, um, we would like your cell phones off, except for the few who have decided to tweet throughout the event, about the event, and our uh, name on uh, Twitter is at IQ2US, and we're using hash sign two party debate, where it's the number two, not the word T-W-O spelled out. And now let's welcome our debaters to the stage. It's a true pleasure to introduce the man who has made Intelligence Squared U.S. possible. It's why there is an IQ2 U.S., Mr.
1: Robert Rosencrantz. Well, thank you and welcome. Uh, It's it's my task to kind of frame the debate. Why did we do this particular uh, debate? And the question, of course, is, is America ungovernable? Well, neither the most uh, liberal Democrats nor the most conservative Republicans can govern the way they like. Uh, Our system demands compromise and change by slow increments. And that's exactly what the founders intended. Both parties have always had differing philosophies of government and different takes on major policy issues. But for most of the past 50 years, there's been a sense that politics stops at the water's edge, that we won't let partisan politics jeopardize American security or our standing in the world. And in domestic policy, the biggest initiatives, such as civil rights, welfare reform, the NAFTA Free Trade Pack, Medicare, Medicaid, all had uh, substantial bipartisan support. Well, what I'm describing is hardly uh, uh, what politics today are like. Both parties seem to be dominated by their most extreme elements, and the center is driven from the corridors of power. Indeed, the rarity of truly civil discourse in our society is um, precisely what prompted the creation of the Intelligence Squared debate series in the first instance. Well, how did things get this way? I would point to three developments, each of which, quite ironically, seem on the face of it to enhance democracy. First, the primary system for selecting candidates has evolved into a highly compressed series of campaigns that require well over $100 million to contest effectively. Second, the campaign finance reform has required that those vast sums be raised in $2,000 pieces And it's often the most emotional and intemperate rhetoric that prompts folks to write those checks. Finally, the media environment has become highly fragmented, encouraging people to gravitate to news outlets that reinforce their views and drive them even further from centrist positions. But whether I'm right or wrong about the reasons, it's hard to dispute that the two parties are as far apart as they have been in our lifetimes. Does that mean that America is ungovernable? To help you decide, we have with us tonight some of our most brilliant political commentators, and it's now my privilege to turn the evening over to them and to our moderator, John Donvan. Thank you, John.
0: And once again, uh, I just want to say thank you to Robert Rosencrantz for making all of this possible. True or false, the two-party system is making America ungovernable. Let's have it out. That's what we are here to debate under the auspices of Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. We are at the Skirball Center for the Performing Arts at New York University, where we have two teams of debaters, two members each. Arianna Huffington and David Brooks are arguing for the motion. They want to convince you that the two-party system is making America ungovernable. Here to try to make nonsense of that argument, their opponents, Zev Chaffetz and P.J. O'Rourke. Now, this is a debate. There will be a winner and a loser. And you, our live audience here at the Skirball Center, will be the judges. By the time the debate has ended, we will have asked you to vote two times, once before you've heard the arguments and once again afterward. And the team that has changed the most minds in the course of the debate will be declared our winner. So let's go to your preliminary vote. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. If you agree with this motion, press number one on your keypad. The keypad is to your left. If you disagree, press number two. And if you are undecided, press number three. And if you think that you've pressed a key in error, just correct your mistake, and the system will lock in your last vote. All right, it looks like everybody's completed that. We'll be presenting the results of that vote and the concluding vote at the end of the debate. So on to round one. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable in round one. Uninterrupted opening statements by each debater in turn. They are seven minutes each. And here to argue, to convince you that the two-party system is making America ungovernable, Arianna Huffington, who is... uh, uh... now president and editor-in-chief of the huffington post media group interestingly ariana you were born in a country that now has five viable parties in its parliament you came of age intellectually in a country that has three viable parties in its parliament you're now living in a country that has two parties is there a trend (laughs) meaningful trend
2: (laughs) yes i'm fast moving towards one party (laughs) (laughs) rule
0: ladies and gentlemen ariana huffington
2: Thank you so much. Uh, David and I are here to convince you that, indeed, the two-party system has rendered this country ungovernable. And the evidence is all around us. Wherever you look, you see that we can only produce suboptimal solutions to our deepest crisis. And if you have any doubt about that, just look around. Why do we still have banks that we have deemed to be too big to fail? Why did our two-party system produce three major disasters in recent years? The financial meltdown, the mining disaster that left 29 miners dead in West Virginia, the BP oil spill. Just to mention three major disasters that were produced as a result of our completely dysfunctional two-party system. And you know, for many, many years, we've kind of postponed solving our big problems. We've postponed dealing with our deficit. We've postponed dealing with the decline of the middle class. We've postponed dealing with our crumbling infrastructure. We've postponed dealing with our deteriorating education system. Well, we can no longer keep postponing dealing with these problems. So while the two-party system might have been, okay, during the ordinary times, we are not living in ordinary times right now. We actually have to solve our problems. We have no more reserves. We've run out of time. The chickens have come home to roost. And the problem with the two-party system is that it has made us really all prisoners of conventional wisdom. It's made us kind of look at every political problem through that obsolete prism of right versus left. In fact, our political problems are not susceptible to that easy, completely reductionist way of looking at them. Let's take Afghanistan. The media consider anybody who wants to leave Afghanistan as a lefty. In fact, George Will, the Cato Institute, Pat Buchanan, Joe Scarborough, and many conservative intellectuals see no reason for us to be pursuing an unwinnable war at huge expense. Let's look at reforming Wall Street. There are many good capitalists who sleep with a copy of Ayn Rand's books under their pillow, <laughs> who believe that Wall Street desperately needs reforming. If it's going to actually operate like a capitalist system, as opposed to operating like an oligarchy crony system, where losses are socialized and gains are privatized. Nevertheless, the two-party system makes that kind of thinking impossible. Because we continue to see everything through that obsolete binary prism. But look around. The favorability ratings of the two parties are constantly declining. We now have Dems at about 39% favorability rating and Republicans at 34%. And the last election, despite all the attention, despite all the media hoopla, only 42% of the electorate voted. This is an enormous amount of dissatisfaction in the political system to have so many people not even participating in that most elementary duty of citizenship, voting. And then, let's look at what would have happened in any other section of our lives if we had such a vacuum. There would have been more competition. There would have been more participation from others, but not in our political system. Indeed, inordinate amount of power is uh, folded in the hands of a few so-called centrist senators, <laughs> like um, Olympia Snow. Do you remember during the health care debate, for 14 months, Democrats did everything they could to who Olympia Snow? They were like love-lorn high schoolers <laughs> who were just not getting the message that she was just not into them. And, you know, John Adams kind of predicted what would happen when he said that there is nothing I dread so much as a division of the republic into two great parties, each arranged under its leader and converting measures in opposition to each other. But that's exactly what we have done. And the hunger for change is overwhelming. The election of Barack Obama is evidence of that. The rise of the Tea Party is evidence of that. There is huge mistrust of our national institutions, politicians, business people, the media, and the rise of social media, the rise of the internet has made it possible for young people especially to connect with each other, to reject the existing system, to opt out often of politics and try to find solutions in their own communities, bypassing the political system. That's not ultimately healthy, because democracy is not a spectator sport. And if we're going to revive democracy, if we're going to overcome all the obstacles in the way of a truly democratic system, you know, the way we have uh, the huge advantages of incumbency, the difficulty of ballot access, the gerrymandering of our districts, if we're going to overcome all these things, we need to actually bring more competition and more voices and fresh thinking to our political system. Because as Einstein put it, to paraphrase him, the problems that we are facing right now cannot be solved at the same level of thinking that created them. And yet, that's all that the two parties are capable of. So, let me just end by quoting Thomas Jefferson. In a letter to Francis Hopkinson, he said, I never submitted the whole system of my opinions to the creed of any party of men, whatever, in religion, in philosophy, in politics, or in anything else, where I was capable of thinking for myself. Such an an addiction is the last degradation of a free and moral agent. If I could not go to heaven but with a party, I would not go to heaven at all. (laughs) Well, it's clear that our two-party system is not taking us to heaven. In fact, it's rapidly taking us in the other direction. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Arianna Huffington. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. And here to speak against the motion is P.J. O'Rourke, a journalist, a political satirist. Does it say that on your business card? (laughs) Yes. He's the author of 13 books, including Don't Vote, It Just Encourages the Bastards. Ladies and gentlemen, P.J. O'Rourke.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Um, You know, I agree with, with Ariana about the utter cowardice and perfect ineffectuality of the two major political parties in dealing with any of the political problems that we face. And I would simply concede the debate if I were able to imagine some other political party or independent candidate, left, right, or fanatically middle of the road, who would do a better job it's like trying to imagine a politician who would get up on the campaign stump and say no i can't fix public education the problem isn't underfunding or overcrowding or teachers unions or lack of a voucher system or absence of computer equipment in in the classroom the problem is your damn kids (laughs) he wouldn't get elected the problem is us, damn voters. You know, it's not our not our political parties, be they few or many. We have voted ourselves more government benefits than we care to pay for, and we're broke. And, and you know, so are all the other democracies in the world, uh, no matter how many political parties they have. I, indeed, other countries that aren't democracies face the same problem. Everybody's broke except China, you know, and China has a per capita GDP of just $7,400 a year, as compared to the Dominican Republic's per capita GDP of $8,600 a year. So the Chinese are broke, too, you know? So given we're the problem, we might as well stick with the system that we've got. I mean, after all, we're the ones who invented it. It it, it must suit our needs in in some way. The American two-party system, It's not a very good political system. But we Americans are not very good at politics, (laughs) which is not. I mean, we don't seek the good things in life uh, from politics. We seek the good things in life from pluck and luck. You will notice that more people are interested in the New York State lottery than are interested in the New York State government. Mm -hmm. Now, I would argue in favor of America's two-party system not because of America's two political parties, but because America doesn't really have political parties at all. I mean, we certainly don't have political parties in the ideological sense. Republicans and Democrats don't have ideologies. They just have these vague platform planks, you know, made of rotten wood of political expediency, you know. I mean, if American party platforms were backyard tree forts, you would not let your children climb in them, you know? Anyone can join an American political party, even a witch. Um, No one can be thrown out of an American political party, you know? Uh, uh, God knows my fellow Republicans and I have been trying with Sarah Palin, and you see where it's gotten us, you know? Um, You know, instead of political parties... What we have in America is two fundraising mechanisms for a pair of general human tendencies. The tendency to leave things all screwed up like they've always been, and the tendency to get the government involved and screw things up more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Democrats are the party that says government can make us all richer, smarter, taller, thinner, get the crabgrass out of our lawns. You know, The Republicans are the party that says government doesn't work, and then they get elected and they prove it. We, we have we have, this, we have the stupid party and we have the silly party you know now I, 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 I belong to the stupid party you know I, I vote Republican because Republicans have fewer ideas not few enough as you may have noticed in Iraq but you know Stupid party and the silly party—that would seem to me to cover the range of human political thought. I mean, what do we want to add to that? You know, the the insane party, you know, the the confused party, the violent party, the drunken naked party. You know, (laughs) maybe. (laughs) Now, if the key question is governability, two-party system done pretty well by world historical systems. Little glitch in 1860, but you know. and uh, we're used to the idea uh, of political parties causing civil wars, Spain, Vietnam, Nicaragua. But, you know, in the case of our own civil war, uh, both the Whigs and the Democrats split on the issue of slavery, thereby, in fact, actually delaying our civil war for more than a decade, and may, which may very well have ensured that the right side won in our civil war. Our two political parties, silly and stupid as they may be, uh, they have shown an ability to uh, reconstitute or replace themselves when the nation needs it most. The Republican Party came from the mess of the Whigs and the anti-slavery Democrats in time to win the Civil War. The Democratic Party realigned, broke the power of the Dixiecrats in time to win the, the battle for civil rights. You know? Even in these days of supposed extreme political uh, uh, polarization between Republicans and Democrats, there is a big overlap of feelings and ideas. You know, like the rich should get richer, but only if I'm one of them, right? You know? The poor need help, but can't they knock it off with the drugs, the crime, the tattoos, and the dumb music? You know? I mean, we see this overlap in the number of Americans, I'm sure many of, of you will be among them, who tell pollsters they are independent. Or, as many of us put it when we're phoned by pollsters, go to hell, I'm eating dinner. Um, you know, but, but to, be complete, to be completely outside the two-party system just deprives candidates of any need for a sort of broad appeal, which is why America's two th- third parties have been weird. Anti-Masonic Party, trying to keep my dad from wearing a fez and riding around on a tiny motorcycle. You know, the No-Nothing Party. You know, the name says it all. You know, uh, the Greenback Party. They wanted money to be worth less. That dream came through. You know. I, I, it's, uh, you know Uh, We Republicans had Teddy Roosevelt, which got us Woodrow Wilson in World War I. You Democrats had Ralph Nader, who got you George W. Bush and and the Iraq War. You know, in the matter of political systems, never believe that they can't get worse. And in the matter of our two-party political system, I would say dance with the one that brung you. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Thank you, P.J. O'Rourke here 's where we are. We are halfway through the
0: opening round of this intelligence squared u s debate i 'm John Donvan of ABC News. We have four debaters, two teams of two, who are fighting it out over this motion. The two party system is making America ungovernable. You have heard the first two debaters and now on to the third to speak for this motion to argue that the two party system is making America ungovernable. I want to introduce David Brooks, who is a columnist, op ed columnist from the New York Times and a commentator. On the News Hour, and um, David, I find it interesting that your debating partner, your teammate, Arianna Huffington, started on the right and moved to the left, and you, as a uh, young man making your way through the world, started on the left and moved to the right. What what happened in your case?
4: Uh, wisdom. Uh, <laughs> ladies and
0: gentlemen, David Brooks.
4: Arianna, I can't explain. So, so the defender of the two-party system starts out by conceding that parties are cowardly, ineffectual, and stupid. Uh, And so stands by the proposition that we can't do any better, Uh, which is good counter-programming toward Obama, standing on a position of hopelessness and changelessness, Uh, more or less standing up for the uh, let's-go-suck-on-a-gas-pipe party. (laughs) And I suggest you you support PJ uh, if you have Jack Kevorkian on your speed dial, uh, that we can't do any better. But then in the middle uh, of his remarks, uh, a sort of miracle occurs – and after telling us how stupid the parties are, suddenly he decides they're about to reconstitute themselves into something not half bad. Um, PJ and I are old friends, and I know we took a lot of drugs in the 60s. Um, <laughs> call call uh, Rockefeller University. Apparently they're still hanging around. Uh, now, uh, Ariana spoke about the broad dysfunction of our parties. I'm going to speak about the narrow uh, dysfunction, especially in Washington, where I cover it. I cover politicians very closely, and I can tell you from this context, uh, politicians are all emotional freaks of one sort or another. Uh, they have what I call loggeria dementia, which is they talk so much they drive themselves insane. Uh, but they do have these intense social antennae. Uh, so they, if you meet them, they are guaranteed to invade your personal space. They'll stand too close, rub the back of your head. Uh, I was campaigning with Mitt Romney up in New Hampshire once and he was campaigning in a diner with his five perfect sons, Bip, Chip, Rip, Lip, Sip and Dip. Uh, and <laughs> we go into the diner. He, he introduces himself to a family uh, and then says, what village in New Hampshire are you from? And then he describes the home he owned in their village. Uh, and then he goes around the diner and then first names everybody on the way out. So they're, they're weird social creatures. Nonetheless, I would say in general they're better people than one would anticipate. Most of them are in it for the right reason, but they're stuck in a rotten system. They're stuck in our current two-party system, which forces them to behave in ways that are worse than they are. It's a mind suck. First of all, they cannot be entrepreneurial. They cannot think for themselves because they have to you the party line. They get every Tuesday. They go to a lunch. They get the message of the week. They have to parrot the message of the week. It's a soul suck. They can't behave nicely or even get to know the people in the other party because there are unofficial barriers. I went to something called the Civility Conference where Annenberg took House members from both parties to the Greenbrier Hotel and got them to work together or to meet together. And I went to the dining room. It was like junior high. All the Republicans over here, all the Democrats over here, they know nothing about each other. When a member of a party starts describing to me what's going to happen on the other side, I know everything they're about to tell me is wrong because they know nothing about each other. Finally, it's freedom-destroying. They come in wanting to cut deals, talking in private about what they'd like to achieve, but they're in a tribal mentality, in what, what they can achieve is severely limited by the tribal sort of Tutsi versus Hutu nature of our politics, of the current two-party system. So as a result, they find themselves unable to lead the lives they'd like to lead. Ariana talked about how the big problems are therefore not addressed because they are stuck in these little trenches. These problems come up every day, the squeezing of the middle class unaddressed. I would talk about today's story, the issue of the budget. We are facing a fiscal meltdown in this country, and if you took individuals outside the party context that we have now, I bet we could all cut a deal. We could figure out what taxes need to go up and what spending needs to go down. But we're stuck in the t- this dysfunctional marriage. Where first of all, eighty-five percent of the budget is completely off the table because neither party wants to touch it. Secondly, you've got the Republicans who at least have big ideas for cutting the spending, but they have no idea what spending should be cut and what isn't. So they're cutting some of our most valuable programs like Head Start and Early Childhood Education because that's the party dogma. Then on the Democratic side, they've got some decent ideas to save Head Start and Early Childhood Education, but the present the Democrats have no f- persuasive idea to get to so we can actually cut the budget deficit and avoid a national bankruptcy by twenty fifteen or twenty nineteen in twenty nineteen we will have we will be paying interest on the debt equal to about eight hundred nine hundred billion dollars and this problem has been building and building and building we are completely unable to solve it because the republicans refuse to c- raise taxes which is going to have to happen the democrats refuse to talk about medicare and social security reductions which are going to have to happen, we are stuck and we are heading toward a national disaster. So the first thing we need to do is firstly get out of the system where we're stuck in these party ruts. The University of Maryland had a very interesting study where they took Tea Party people, they took liberals, and they said, here's our budget problem, you deal with it. And the Tea Party people acknowledged that they had to raise taxes, the people on the far left acknowledged some spending had to be cut, they all could do it. But the two-party system can't do it. The second thing we have to do is mobilize independence. We probably need a third party, but we certainly need a de-alignment. We need more movements to come in and infect the parties. So people are less hewn to these tribal parties, and that's what the parties have become. They've become tribes, almost ethnic tribes. They are no longer the normal political groupings that they were 20 or 30 years ago. They've become tribes where your honor is attached to your tribe, and any compromise seems like a sign of shame and dishonor, and therefore they're not willing to do it. So we need to get more movements involved to shake up the two parties. And then finally, we need a philosophy. We've got two parties in this country, but we've got three movements. The first movement is a liberal movement that believes in using government to enhance equality. The second movement is a conservative movement that believes in limited government to enhance freedom. But starting at the foundation of our republic, there was a movement starting with Alexander Hamilton going up to Abraham Lincoln, going up to Teddy Roosevelt, which believed in limited but energetic government to enhance social mobility, to give people the tools to compete. This is not big government. It's not little government. It's energetic government to give people the tools to thrive in a capitalist economy. That centrist movement is completely unrepresented by the two parties, and yet it's where the largest percentage of Americans are. So if you think, if you take a look at the fiscal situation, if you take a look at some of these big issues, and you can see our current two-party system leading to a solution in the near term, you can vote for those guys. But if you can't see a plausible way out of our problems, I suggest you vote for us. Thank you.
0: Our motion at this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate: the two-party system is making America ungovernable. And here to argue against the motion, Zev Chaffetz, a columnist, the author of twelve books, the founding editor of the Jerusalem Report. We met when you were working for five years in Jerusalem as the government spokesman for for Israel. And uh, interesting to note, uh, we're talking about two-party system, Israel has proportional representation. With at this point, how many parties represented in parliament? Fourteen. And, and how how's that working out? Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and
5: gentlemen, zev Chaffetz. I'd like to begin by quoting uh, something that I saw in the uh, in the press just the other day. Things haven't been moving in Washington. A young Democratic president with an overwhelmingly Democratic Congress can't get much of anything passed except for defense and appropriations, which certainly doesn't add up to dynamism. A sense of delusion has set in among friends as well as foes. That's from uh, Time magazine, uh, September seventh, 1962. And the young president they're talking about is John F. Kennedy. Um, and the point that I'd like to begin with is that people always say, and have always said that uh, America is ungovernable uh, and that these are times, as Ariana put it, which are extraordinary or different than other times and require extraordinary and brand new uh, solutions. Uh, But America has always been in unusual times. That's how it always seems to people when they're alive, that they're living in unprecedented times. Uh, In the 1920s, America confronted the prohibition, which made it seem that the country was ungovernable and also, uh, you know, no place to get a drink. Um, uh, in the 1930s, there was a depression in this country, which uh, was far worse than the economic situation uh, that obtains today, obviously. Uh, in the 1940s, America was able to mobilize itself uh, to go to war against Nazi Germany and Japan, even though there was a strong sentiment in this country uh, not to go to war, an America First sentiment, which was overcome. Uh, In the 1950s, we all, those of us who are old enough to remember, used to hide under our desks uh, in the nuclear drills because we were sure that we were going to get bombed by the Russians. But in the event, America won the Cold War. Um, In the 1960s, the halcyon days of our youth, of my team anyway, um, we not only were living in an ungovernable society, but we were contributing to it uh, <laughs> and happily. The 1970s were Watergate. It was a, a disaster. It was the end of American democracy. The president was forced to step down. Never happened before. Uh, somehow the country survived those extraordinary times. And what brought it through each time was the two party system, which is the stable and consistent system in this country it's what provides stability for the united states uh... politically speaking uh... the nineteen eighties anybody some of you remember the nineteen eighties it looks like um, that was uh... the decade that japan was going to take over uh... and dwarf the american economy something like the chinese and by the way the japanese uh... uh... g GN, m uh, uh, GN, Gross national product per capita is less than America's today. Um, And then, of course, we're living in New York, the ungovernable city, as it was called by Nathan Glazer in 1961, and as it was referred to by others uh, before Rudy Giuliani became mayor. And if you look out the windows, those of you who came here today, uh, you don't see an ungovernable city. You see a well-governed city. Uh, both under Giuliani and also under Bloomberg. And uh, this is a miracle. Uh, but here we are. The American system is a resilient system. And the notion that it, this country is ungovernable is a media trope. It's not true. It hasn't been true. I can prove it to you, if you want, with statistics. The World is it the World Bank? I'm not so good at, at uh, n- my notes here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because they're in Hebrew, and who can read? <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> seriously, I'm reading backwards. It's not funny. <laughs> um, I had some, actually, I did have some great statistics here. I thought I was going to impress David Brooks with him. Um, but you'll have to take my, oh, here it is, okay, the World Bank. Index, it has a thing called the Index of Governability, which is so handy for a debate like this. <laughs> and I just, I just looked it up. You know, why argue when you can have fact based, evidence based <laughs> arguments? Um, you know, all right. <laughs> the World Bank takes into account uh, one, two, three, four, five metrics uh, accountability and voice, which goes to what Ariana was discussing, effectiveness of the government, uh, the quality of regulation, the rule of law, and uh, the control of corruption. In all of those indices, uh, the United States scores above the 90th percentile in the world, uh, which is an A, in, uh, even at NYU. <laughs> um, and only in public stability, which is a function of terrorism, is it, does it get a B. In other words, the American system is a. Uh, in compared, if you say compared to to what, in compared to, you know, utopia, it's a replaceable system. If you compare it to the rest of the systems in the world, it's uh, it's a pretty good system. And as PJ said, it's also the system that fits this country. It was built for this country, and it has lasted uh, a very long time. Um, back in the day, there was a. Uh, columnist that we grew up on, Walter Lippmann, and he, here's what he wrote. I like to quote uh, uh, close with it. This is about proportional representation, proportional voting, but it stands for the system in general. Um, he said that uh, the objection that popular government cannot be conducted without the two-party system is, I believe, refuted by the experience of Europe. If I had to choose between a Congressional Caucus and a coalition ministry, I should not have to hesitate very long. That was written in 1914, the year uh, that World War I began inexplicably. And uh, uh, I would say that if you look at that system, the the European system and the American system, which are the only two real democratic systems in the world, the American system has done uh, pretty well in the last 80 years, and I think it's a, Thank uh, you, a good Chief, system it's for your time the future. Is up. Thank, Thank you. you.
0: And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. We'll be right back. We are back at this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. We have two teams of two members each. ariana Huffington and David Brooks are arguing for the motion, and arguing against. Uh, We have P.J. O'Rourke and Zev Chaffetz. The team arguing for the motion has been arguing that that we are stuck in, as as they have put it, an obsolete prism of right and left. And the team arguing has been saying, well, actually, we've been stuck before uh, in our long history, and we had a two-party system, and we worked through those crises, and the crises we're facing now are no more daunting relative to the system than they have been in the past, and we'll get through again. I want to put to P.J. O'Rourke, I don't know if you're a... A founding father kind of guy, uh, but your your opponents have quoted John Adams as saying he dreaded the thought of uh, the, polit- the body politic dividing into a two party system, and and they're arguing that there's no room for many voices when uh, the structure is right and left. Can you take on that argument?
3: Well, uh, Washington went 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 went, went further uh, than that. I, I have his quote around here someplace, written also in Hebrew. <laughs> 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 Um, Washington said that the um,
5: – um, I wrote
3: the post for both of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Washington warned against the spirit of party, period. He didn't, he, he didn't go so far as to just worry about two. He worried about the system of party, absolutely. And I would say that uh, Americans have taken that to heart that uh, while there are core uh, Democratic and and Republican supporters, and while they probably have more influence over our political system uh, than they ought to, that Americans themselves have always been a bit dubious uh, uh, about both of the major political tendencies. And uh, there is no golden period that we can go back to in American history to find... Uh, uh, you know some sort of political system that would be better for us, the the original uh, divide between Jefferson and the Democrats and, 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 and the Federalists the Jefferson and Democrats were an unholy alliance of New York demagogues New York demagogues who would imagine uh, New York demagogues who favored the French Revolution and all the fun they were having in France, and Southern slave owners who favored states rights. Meanwhile, the supposedly more respectable Federalists were the authors of the Alien Naturalization, Alien, and Sedition Acts a- 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 and the first major political witch hunt uh, in the United States. I think Americans have always been quite aware that both parties
2: stink. Um, All right. Well, let,
0: let, let me bring in Arianna Huffington to pick up. On
2: you know, P.J., I would argue that if we really had... Uh, believed what you believe now throughout the course of American history, we would never have made any moves towards a more perfect union. Because when we had slavery, you would say, you know, it's as good as it gets. When women didn't have the vote, you would say, well, you know, it could have been worse. When we didn't have, when uh, African Americans could not vote, you would say, well, you know, just think of it. In other countries, you know, it's just infinitely worse. And the World Bank probably would have given us an A rating. <laughs> I don't know, that that. that That world Bank A rating really worries me. It must have been the same kind of credit credit, uh, rating agencies that were giving junk bonds AAA ratings. (laughs) So, um, you know, the idea that we're not living through unprecedented times, you know, is an unbelievably elitist uh, idea that can... No, no, let me just finish, because this is, like, from people who are comfortable... Like we are privileged to be those of us here uh, on the stage, but just look at what's happening. You know, 100 million Americans right now are worse off than their parents were. So you're so you're saying, Ariana
0: we are in an ungoverned uh, situation that Absolutely. reflects ungovernability.
2: And also that uh, throughout our history, we've all of we've always aim to do better we believe that ZF we can Fitts, do are, better. are
0: we are we in the mess the the mess of of absolute gridlock that i think is being described by your opponent well i
5: think that Ariana uh, put it very uh, very well um, there was a time when there was slavery and there was a time when women couldn't vote and there was a time when african americans couldn't uh, uh, when, when african americans couldn't vote uh, And all those things no longer are the case. They all change. And they all change under the two-party system, which is the subject that we're debating tonight. The fact that there are uh, imperfections in America is obvious. And the fact that there are people in America who are suffering is a constant. So, David Brooks, why is it different this time?
4: Uh, Because it wasn't always thus. Uh, If you go back to, say, 30 years ago and you look at the two parties, in the first place, the two parties overlapped in Congress. Now they do not. There's no common ground between them. In the second place, if you look at the things they were able to do, like tax reform in 1986, you had a whole series of bipartisan Agreements. If you cover Congress the way I do, you had in those days a whole series of personal relationships that simply doesn't exist, and that's so one you of the think reasons. there was
0: something of a golden era, a silver era? No, I there was say. a
4: period of constructive competition. They fought. Aaron Burr killed Alexander Hamilton. I, I regard that as highly polarizing. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, but but they fought to balance each other's weaknesses, and now they don't. F- they don't. F- they
3: fight to stagnate. I PJ, think this PJ is PJ a Ward. normal, uh, 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 it, it, uh, it's a normal sine wave in American politics. After all, the, uh, uh, the 1930s and the New Deal was not exactly a period of huge bipartisanship. You know? uh, the, the, the bipartisan ideal is always like a little worrisome to me. I consider actually the two most dangerous words in Washington to be bipartisan consensus. It's kind of like when my, 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 my wife and, and my doctor and my lawyer all agree that I need help. <laughs>
6: you
3: know, I just it, it, it just it it, <clears throat> it concerns me a little bit, but again, but what finally where I where I come apart from from, from I, I'm I'm glad to sit here and criticize the two party system uh, is I, I don't have that much good to say about it. The alternative, what is the alternative? My biggest concern is that in a multi party system, it leads to power. In small, screwy ideologies, you know. Well, the let me, garden let me put to the side gnome arguing party.
0: For, arguing that you think that the system is making America ungovernable. Are you arguing for a better functioning two party system, or are you arguing for a multi party system?
2: Well, we are arguing for something that will shake up the current dysfunctional system. But what? And but that what? Here, I don't want the thing. garden gnome party
3: no. holding the balance of power. Ari- Arianna has the mic. Subsidized garden gnomes everywhere. Let Ariana have the mic. <laughs> I thought that was Michael Dukakis.
7: <laughs> <laughs>
0: for the record, that was David Brooks.
2: <laughs> yeah, your, your notes are in Hebrew and my notes are in Greek, so we all have a problem. But, but the truth at the moment is that as an immigrant to this country, as somebody who's lived the American dream, I'm fully aware of the fact that the American dream is dying for millions of Americans. I have two daughters in college and a growing number of their friends are graduating from college and they can't get jobs. We have 20... Six million Americans at the moment were either unemployed or underemployed. And we don't have any plan that the two parties seem to be capable of, of how to bring jobs about. So there is a huge dysfunctionality, and the results are really incredibly profound. I mean, they are changing the nature of this country. Upward mobility has been at the heart of the American dream, now we are number ten when it comes to upward mobility we are behind france and germany excuse me but being behind france in upward mobility is like france being behind us in croissants and afternoon sex but, <laughs> but, but, but
0: to pj's to pj's point about the school it's just your dumb kids why is that about the two-party system and not about everything else
2: well the idea that it's dumb kids that are the problem He's just, you know, he's just charming PJ. I mean, whatever (laughs) PJ says, he's charming because he's funny. But it's not true.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's our debate for this evening. (laughs) (laughs) Seth Chaffetz, come on in.
5: Well, I I would say not true is, uh, that's pretty definitive. Um, The uh, notion of being in a debate with Arianna Huffington Arguing that an American has lost its ability to have upward mobility <laughs> is a startling <laughs> experience. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to say something about David's uh, notion about bipartisanship. Two things quickly. First of all, polarization is a good thing, not a bad thing. In countries where you don't have polarized political debate, you have no debate. Civility does not equal democracy, and in the many countries that I've visited and you've all visited and been to, and I'm sure many of you, where you haven't heard uh, harsh debate, you have been in the, in the countries that are being ruled uh, not in uh, democratic ways, in societies that aren't open. And the other thing about this uh, golden age of uh, uh, advise and consent, when uh, all the congressmen got together, the senators got together and had cocktails and so on, and there's no bipartisanship anymore, I just want to say the following words. No Child Left Behind, which was passed in a bipartisan way, the Medicaid prescription, Medicare prescription, the tax cuts, the Bush tax cuts, the Iraq War, which, like it or not, was a, bi- a bipartisan uh, affair, the TARP uh, stuff, the health care bill, which was passed uh, in a monopartisan way. All of these things have been passed in the last 10 years. Right. That's first, quite a first, lot of progress. First, progress for on, on the civility
4: system. point, system. screw off, you fat bastard. No, Let's go, let's go. Uh, no, I believe in conflict. I, I'm, I'm a columnist. Conflict is fine with me. Uh, and and uh, I'm fine with that as long as it's constructive. The problem is we have parties that don't represent the country. We now have. Here's a fact from Morris Fiorina, Stanford political scientist. More people own ferrets than watch Fox News, uh, and so. But we have a party is there a lot that's of overlap. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Glenn Beck's ferret is loose, uh, but we have a party that's sort of dictated by that small group, and in the Democratic Party, we have a party dictated by the public sector employee unions and you've got vast numbers of people whose views are not basically represented so the country is is still a bell curve country and the rest of the society and the two party system is yeah, not so and therefore you don't describe have the normal what you mean fighting. by bell curve uh, a bell curve is like this most yeah. people are in the middle uh, and so you don't have construction uh, you don't have constructive competition which would be us talking and then reaching an agreement after an hour you just have uh eh, you guys but, suck. but
5: David can I just say that in the last election Uh, the Republicans nominated uh, John McCain. A more reasonable Republican than that would be hard to find. And the Democrats nominated Barack Obama, who is the soul of reasonableness and so much is in favor of civility that he said at my alma mater, the University of Michigan, if you are people who listen to Rush Limbaugh and Glenn Beck, then read some articles on the Huffington Post. That's what you have. Those are the two uh, leaders of the of the of the major parties at least until the next election i don 't think that you can make the case that these are extremists who don't talk to one another who, or who aren't civil with one another. Compare uh, pre-nomination
4: John McCain to post-nomination John McCain and see what a, a guy has to do to get elected. Ariana Huffington, is you, you, said,
0: you said democracy cannot be a spectator sport. Your opponents are saying that Americans by nature are not ideological. Maybe those two things are not necessarily in conflict with each other, but do you, do you take their point that for the most part Americans aren't that into politics and therefore that makes the parties rather irrelevant?
2: I think Americans don't believe that our current... Could three- I just ask
0: you to move a little oh. closer to my Sorry.
2: Americans don't believe that their current political system is working. That's why you have 37% of Americans who are registered as independents because they don't believe our current two-party system is delivering what the country needs. And increasingly, young people who really do want to find solutions to our problems are choosing civic engagement instead of political engagement. We have long... Uh, waiting list for people to join Teach for America. So it's not as if they've given up on making the world better. I mean, PJ and Zev may have given up on making the world better, but (laughs) young people haven't. They just don't see the political route through the two-party system as the way to make the world better. But if we give up on making the world better, then we might as well give up on everything. You know, I mean, I think in the end, Churchill was right. He said Americans can be counted to do the right thing after they have exhausted all other possibilities. (laughs) And the the two-party system is one of the other possibilities we have now exhausted. You know,
3: PJ I, don't, I don't if at all feel fatalist about this. I, I, and I don't feel like, like standing pat. I think we are in the middle of a huge fight. I think Tea Party is a very good example. I keep waiting for the Democratic Party to have the equivalent. I hope that it, that it will. I think we're in the midst of a political realignment going on in the United States. I think our opponents uh, uh, mistake a current situation for a permanent situation. I think that the American politics goes through... Phases like this, and, 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 and you know, people say, "Oh, it's more polarized now than it's ever been in a time." And I'm going, like, the '60s—that wasn't polarized, you know. The 1860s—that wasn't. So, so are you saying, are
0: you saying, PJ, we may be temporarily ungovernable?
3: Uh yeah. We, well, no, I mean, be temporarily badly governed, you know. And I, I think that that happens a a a a lot. And and, and I think that you know, the this budget crisis will not go away. Sooner or later, these dumb SOBs down in Washington are going to have to face up to this fact. And they, you know, if the past is anything to go by, they will. I still keep waiting for hearing what is the alternative to the system that we have now. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm open to the idea that there might be an alternative, but I'm not hearing any alternative. I'm hearing merely a criticism of the system that we've got now. Well, that's all they actually need to prove.
2: Exactly.
4: (laughs) Well, fine. But but it does raise the point.
0: (laughs) But but it's a very, very important point that I think the audience will want to hear from you, Ariana, as opposed to what?
2: Well, first of all, let me just say that the motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. And I hope you've all heard our opponents make our case again and again (laughs) and again. You know, in fact, PJ just said, you know, It's not good right now, but it doesn't mean it's not going to get better. Absolutely. All we are saying is that we need to take steps to make it better. We can't just wait by the sidelines and expect it to get better. And the fastest way to make it better is to shake up a dysfunctional, uh, stagnant, two-party system. That's all we have to prove. That's all we are arguing. Well, the primary way is to allow more competition. You know, all of us believe in competition, right? It's sort of at the essence of a private enterprise, freedom-based system. We believe in competition in everything except politics. When it comes to politics, you've got to pick your party and run with your party and actually espouse whatever the party is, is, um, stands for at that particular moment. One election cycle, it may be abortion or no abortion. The social issues, this election cycle, um, it's around... Uh, um, issues that have to do with the shrinking government on the Republican side. So that's not the way to fundamentally change the conditions we are all living under.
0: So, Jay, if it's or PJ. If you are ready to move on, I can go to the audience for questions. But if you'd like to respond,
2: so uh, I'm
5: still speechless. not hearing. You I, I don't. I, I, I'm with PJ. You know, we're talking about a two-party system in an actual world. Uh, or a different political system in an actual world. Um, The two-party system is a very uh, long-standing, and by the way, it has plenty of room for independents, which are part of the system, and also for third-party candidates, which are are a function of every election, whether it's Ross Perot or whether it's Pat Buchanan, or you can't name an election, or Henry Wallace or George Wallace or Stroud. You can't name an election that hasn't had uh, a third-party candidate or more. The or fact usually a big nut. The, the fact that people don't want to vote for them is not the same thing as saying that they don't exist. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, and I think that we have to, since we're talking about reality and not, uh, and not uh, utopia, I think we have to ask ourselves who on this stage, the four of us, the three of you are all brilliant, and John, of course, is also, if the five of us, and I'm just old, I have more age, I'm older than PJ by a couple of months, so I have seniority, but if the five of us had to sit down and devise a better political system, even with the, wi- with the wizards on this panel, I don't think we would be able to do it. And uh, even if the whole audience participated, uh, we probably might not get there. We have a politi- there is a political system in this country. And thank God there is. It provides stability, and it's grown organically, and it's a, a, it's run a run wonder. David it's a great thing. You know, back this long
4: uh, duration. You know, I grew up here at NYU. I went to the University of Chicago, a uh, Baptist school where atheist professors teach Jewish students, St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, it's, uh, I'm used to long historical visions. Uh, and the idea that, oh, it's always sort of been like this uh, is just not true. Let's take my pet issue, the deficit. Every generation has an incentive to pass debt off on to future generations, but no generation until the current one has done it because the political system Finally was able. Our
3: dream come true. <laughs> <laughs>
4: was able to mobilize and basically exercise some self-control and cut deals. Ronald Reagan did the biggest tax increase in American history because the political system then basically worked. The parties are now different than they were then.
0: All right, we're going to go to some audience questions when we come back. <coughs> We are back. This is a debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. That didn't <laughs> Wasn't that long. quick? Wouldn't it be great if commercials really worked that way? <laughs> TiVo for life. We are back. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. This is a debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. We have two teams of two debaters each trying to change your minds, and I'd like to go now to the audience for some questions. And gentlemen with the glasses and necktie, and Mike will come to you. And if you could stand up, uh, just so that the camera can find you, and if you can keep it terse and questioning.
7: Thank you very much. This is terrific. My question is to the panelists in favor of the resolution, and it's at the theme that you were just discussing. Given the fact that the two-party system happened by itself, bottom-up, organically, to use PJ's word, how exactly would you get rid of it, or perhaps worse, what would you impose? And in
4: what way? Well, I'm I first. I, do, I not f- necessarily for realignment, but, but dealignment. We're seeing all sorts of social movements that are growing up organically, like the Tea Party, like the Obama movement, like Move On. I'd like to see a lot more of those uh, movements in order to loosen up the parties. And the second thing, I do think there has been a historical tradition, which I talked about, from Hamilton to Lincoln, uh, and maybe to moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats today, the very few that exist that tradition is unrepresented by our par- by our politics and i think that long american historic tradition deserves a voice so those would be two things i'd change
2: and and i would add Ariana that um, movement politics um, really leads us to what i call hope 2.0 you know if obama was about hope uh, which was basically hope being channeled to one of the two parties hope 2.0 is about hope being channeled to multiple movements Community solutions, people all around the country um, unleashing an enormous amount of creativity and ingenuity around finding solutions at the local level. We in the media are doing a lousy job of putting a spotlight on what is working. We need to do a much better job. We need to help them scale up. And this is really part but of the don't, don't you feel about. that
0: the parties actually are responsive to movements? are They're affected by them, ultimately, will co opt them? No, be shaped I think. By them? I think
2: l- to a large extent, the parties use movements during election times. I mean look at the Obama, um, the Obama movement. Once Obama was in the White House, it basically disappeared. They are now trying to reconstitute it because he's beginning to run for the election. That's not what makes a thriving movement. You know, a movement is something which organically continues to grow through elections and beyond them. And that's what we need more of. People do not trust establishments. I mean, look at the Tea Party movement. It's fundamentally anti-establishment. Look at what's happening among young people on the democratic side. Fundamentally anti-establishment. The, the numbers of mistrust um, when it comes to our national institutions are skyrocketing. We need to address that. Otherwise, we're becoming an increasingly dysfunctional society.
0: Zev Chaffetz, your opponent.
5: Well, uh, first of all, I want to take issue with the characterization of the Obama movement Obama was the nominee of the Democratic Party he wasn 't a movement candidate. he was a candidate of one of the two major parties. Um, had he been only a movement candidate, he would have gotten three percent of the vote or five percent of the vote or whatever movement candidates get but he uh, he went through the system and he 's a part of the system as far as the notion of young people speaking their minds and getting so much resistance from behind uh, <laughs> We're talking. I mean, that's not a good idea, Ariana. Really, it's not. Um, it's great for everybody to participate, and I'm glad that there's an internet and all of the cool stuff that we've got these days and participatory Facebook and all the rest of it. But uh, the, since everybody's quoting the founding fathers, John Adams also said that political parties are to gov- are, are there to govern passions, and something needs to govern the unchanneled passions of all of the marvelous passion that kids have and young people have, and disaffected people have, and anti-establishmentarian people have, and they all can exist within the framework of the two-party system as they have ever since 1865, whenever the Civil War ended, in my opinion. All right,
0: let's get to another question.
5: Um, Right in the
0: center, it might help. Yes, you're you're the only one with your hand up in the front row. And a mic is going to come down this way to you. And if you don't mind standing again, I know you're right in front.
6: With the growth of social media and the se- 24-7 news cycle, what role do you see the media playing in helping reinforce the current two-party system or changing it for the future?
0: Can I ask you what you think the media's role is so far in that regard? Do you think it's ossifying the system, it's keeping it in place? or Is that somewhat of your lament?
6: I think it's keeping it in place.
0: All right, so what you're really asking is can that change, I think. Yes. Uh, Ariana Huffington, sounds like a natural.
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, If you look, for example, at the way the media describe our political problems, it's reflexively through that um, prism of right versus left. I mean, I mentioned Afghanistan in my opening statement. Um, Wall Street reform, unemployment. You know, why is it left-wing to care about helping people get jobs? And yet that's how it's portrayed in the media. Uh, But if you um, look at how The discussion is, say, on uh, the social media, it's very different, does not accept those very stale distinctions. So we have a responsibility, those of us in the media and everybody else, to participate in that and change it. And increasingly, you know, more and more people are participating. And self-expression has become a kind of form of self-fulfillment. I mean, more people are participating, uploading videos. I mean, we saw it not just here. We saw it um, in what happened in Egypt recently. We saw a kind of phenomenal outpouring of uh, something which I suppose you might regard dangerous, because it's uh, leading to uncontrollable passions, but it's also leading to freedom, liberation, and all the things that uncontrollable passions provide.
0: You need to see the expressions on the faces of there. <laughs> very, very briefly, because I think we know that where you're the social going.
5: Social media was necessary in Egypt because it was a one-party state. It's not a two-party state. That's the whole point of this: that everything Egypt can exist the within, within the two-party system. Uh, you don't need you don't need a, a mob of uh, Facebook-inspired uh, Democrats if you have the ability to nominate uh, candidates and then vote for them. Well, and so then first of
2: all, the fact that you are calling it a mob shows what respect you have for them. The other thing is that what clearly, did you think they
5: were? I mean, wh- clearly, what are they? Were they uh, well, why why is is it a mob? mob?
2: Why, is it, why are people who are organizing? Uh, on Facebook or through Twitter in order to uh, overthrow a repressive regime, a mob.
0: Ask Laura Logan. All right, let's, let's move on. Uh, gentlemen, uh, if you can stand up.
2: Yeah, I think um, one of the
7: reasons the com- country was more governable in the past, and one of the reasons we had overlap between the parties, which I think was, was mentioned, is that we had much more of a common narrative in the past. The parties agreed more on what the facts were and then disagreed on their interpretations of them. So you could have, as is P.J. That really would say, the stupid and the silly arguments. But, about but what the era data. are
0: you talking about? Because there were plenty of times. When I think they up
7: didn't. until recently, today we have a greater bifurcation in the news than we've ever had. We have Fox on one side, we have MSNBC okay. on so the other. So what would your question Perhaps be? Perhaps the problem here is that the, p- the country may be ungovernable, but it's not the two party system that's the problem. Rather, the problem is the way information now flows through the country and the way we end up with essentially tribes around facts as okay. opposed to simply tribes around interpretation. All right, P.J. O'Rourke
3: can uh, you're talking about. I think there is a tendency to take the period from about the end of the Korean War uh, through, say, uh, Johnson's Great Society as being somehow normative in, in, in American history. It is not. The two political parties were of course violently polarized in the Civil War, quite polarized after the Civil War, extremely polarized during the 1920s, extremely polarized during the, during, during the 1930s. Uh, they are extremely polarized right now. I would argue that polarization is more normal than, than not. As far as there being some sort of media voice of common wisdom and rece- you know some sort of some sort of uh, uh, objectivity in the media, uh, that was like a sort of little false advertising campaign of the New York Times over the course of about one decade you know american tr- t- newspapers have traditionally been just just hysterically partisan i mean if you go back through the history of the American press. It has almost entirely been uh, advocating, uh, a- and usually uh, in, 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 the, in, in the loosest and most irresponsible way, one particular So, KJ, let me, let me put you your central
0: that. point to the other side. That what You're saying that polarization is the norm most of the time. David Brooks.
3: Fighting is the norm.
4: Polarization, like we've seen, is not the norm. This is actually demonstrably, uh, statistically demonstrable political scientists take a look at how many votes cross party lines how many times in each congress people actually reach bipartisan deals and the number now is at all-time lows it has it has it's been it's cycled through history but it's never been like this people fought Lyndon Johnson in the 60s fought but Lyndon Johnson was able to fashion coalitions Henry Clay people then fought they were able to fashion coalitions the problem is not that they were fighting i'm all for fighting The problem is that each party has become more rigid in my own lifetime of covering this stuff. When I came to Washington in the early 80s, I could go to backbenchers like Jack uh, Kemp or Newt Gingrich on the Republican side. They had all these weird ideas they were trying to push on leadership. That doesn't happen. The leaders control everything now. The nature of the parties has changed.
0: This time is different. Yes. Okay, question. Ma'am, with the scarf. And the mic is coming to your left side.
8: One of the reasons that the parties seem to have so much more power now is the control of the money, and even though there have been attempts to do campaign finance reform, we seem to be moving even further away from from that goal, rather than to trying to diffuse some of that. How do you respond to that, and is that affecting our two-party system today?
0: Ariana, you're absolutely. Right about
2: it a lot. I think I think that's a very um, Very important point, and especially with the Citizens United decision, as you said, we see the stronghold of money on our political system, the power of special interests, the fact that we have uh, dozens of lobbies per member of Congress, the fact that even when good legislation is passed, it's undermined uh, at the committee stage. All those things have made us ungovernable, because even when... And we have mining reform, for example. Then you go back and look at how it was all watered down to the point where the Virginia mining disaster could happen. Even when you have regulators living inside Lehman Brothers of of Fannie and Freddie, they were not able to prevent the regulatory capture that allowed the financial meltdown to happen. I mean, we have lost trillions of, in private wealth. We have the greatest increase in poverty in the suburbs at the moment. We are becoming a third world country. And if we don't pay attention now, if we don't do something while there is time to course correct, then it's going to be too late. And that's why this is the time to sound the alarm, recognize that we have become ungovernable, and change the system.
0: All right, more questions from the audience when we come back. You know what actually helped me uh, come back is if I could have one of those rounds of applause that you hear. When you hear. Thank you. We are back at this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan of ABC News. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. Arguing for the motion, we have Ariana Huffington and David Brooks arguing against Zev Chaffetz and P.J. O'Rourke and going to a question from the audience, gentlemen, with the eyeglasses. And I, again, want to urge you, because we're starting to stray a little bit to make these questions and are, that are terse and that are related to the topic, please. So Okay. that.
4: Sorry. Uh, so, uh, responding to Mr. Chaffetz, uh, the United States is
6: above the 90th percentile in, in terms of governance compared to the entire world, but that's a, a pretty low bar to set for uh, the, the world's richest and most
4: powerful country. Uh, but my, my question is for the, uh, the side in favor of it. In my native Canada, uh, there's about 80,000 people for every uh, member of parliament, and we have a chance to meet them uh, much more than here, where there's about 800,000 people for every uh, for every member or for every member of the House. And I'm wondering if it's do you think that it's a problem with the two-party system, or is is the country just too large to be governed? There are many multi-party countries in Northern Europe that are much better governed than us. Okay, but they're smaller. I, I guess I would say f- uh, David first I was born in Canada. Bula bula. Uh, uh, <laughs> You know, I, I'm actually not sure that's it, because members of Congress fly home every weekend. That's one of the reasons their lives are so miserable, and they hold town meetings. Uh, and, a, and a lot of places... I am at the flight, not the getting there. Uh, uh, they hold town meetings, and if they can get 30 or 50 people to show up, they're happy. They love to meet people. They spend a lot of time meeting people. Uh, and as I said, they have this... You and I need food and water. They just need social love. That's what they need. Uh, and so... I don't think that's it. I, think, I don't think it's when they go home that the problem is. I think it's when they come to Washington. Uh, and are surrounded by a psychological vortex. I just want to make that explicit. I think the psychology within the parties has changed.
0: And Peter, I think you're almost arguing that the bluntness uh, by design of a of a large system of two parties that you feel have a lot of ideological overlap is perfect for a gigantic country like this one.
3: Well, I, I think that that it is because I, I, I think that the uh, intrusion of, uh, of, of of third parties and and other interests. Just has a tendency to act as a sort of spoiler uh, situation, basically throwing the you know the race to George W. Bush in, in, instead of to Al Gore, who would have been such a wonderful president. Um, anyway, that's you know, <coughs> another matter. Uh, is he, uh, the the uh, uh, yeah I I, I I do I do think it, it, it suits us. It, one of the problems, of course, is when we when we face a kind of crisis like we have at the moment that is both extremely pressing and yet unlike pearl harbor is not perfectly immediate our system is extremely slow to respond uh do we want to live in a country with a political system that is a little too slow to respond or do we want to live in one of those countries where the political system is a little too quick to respond i pick Slowness myself would you like to respond, Ariane well, Huffington
2: because uh, it depends on the kind of problems we're facing, and if we are f- if we are really willing to recognize uh, the problems that we are facing now and how serious they are when it comes to unemployment when it comes to foreclosures um when it comes to bankruptcies, when it comes to the fact that growing numbers of kids can't afford college and if they graduate from college can't get jobs. I mean, these are serious problems. And they are also leading to a kind of political instability and a kind of demonizing our opponents, which always happens during times of deep economic anxiety, whether it was the 1880s when we were expelling Chinese workers or the 1930s when we were expelling... um, Hispanic workers who are actually American citizens, you see what the problems are when we are not taking steps to deal with them in a timely manner.
0: Okay, I'm going to go to another question, and uh, I, I'm raising my hand to my face because I have difficulty seeing farther up. There's a woman in a blue top.:
8: Hi. Um, I think this uh, this debate is great, but I think one of the concerns that a lot of people have is how do you shift away from a two-party system? Um, basically, how do you cope with the Nader effect where um, the balance becomes shift too far in one direction as you're trying to divide the parties?
0: Can you rephrase that in a way that would help people, when they hear the answers, settle their mind on our motion? Because oh. I think you can. <laughs>
8: I'm sorry. No, no, um I guess I guess basically I'm I'm more concerned with the details of how um what type of plan do we implement to move away so you're from you're asking a two what party this side system.
0: is asking uh, when the, when they are saying as opposed to what? Is that what you're asking?
8: Um I'm I'm basically just trying to figure out like how do we move away from a two-party system? Could yeah, could as opposed to what?
0: To a, um, to a, a multi three
8: party system, a four-party system, a 12-party system. Okay, but I'm how not d- sure this we side how is how do we actually – How do we divide the parties um, into the different groups without shifting power to our Yeah, I, to I,
2: power mean power I, mean I would say that even though we don't have to take um, that question on in order to win the debate, we, we are very willing to take that question on. And, uh, you know, there are are many voting measures that could be put in place if the two-party system did not have a stronghold on the current electoral system that would make it possible, for example, if you voted for Ralph Nader and Ralph Nader did not win for your vote to go to your second choice. I mean, that is a completely plausible system that can be implemented immediately if the two parties did not, uh, did not prevent it from being implemented. A,
4: just, uh, David Brooks. Just another rule is non-party primaries. I mean, if you look at the, the, the most disaffected people, they're not actually where Nader is or uh, not where Libertarians are. They're in the middle. 37% of the country basically feels disaffected. But they have no candidates to vote for in general elections because they're just not offered them. And if you had non-party primaries, they, you'd have a better shot. They'd have a voice.
0: And that's a point that I brought to you before from their argument that you didn't really respond to, is that they're talking about the system as it is, really leaving at, leaving people with such distasteful choices that they don't have choices, and that that's a, that's a lot of people, and that that's a, um, they feel a major flaw in a democracy. Zef I,
5: I I confess that I don't understand the premise of the question.
0: That there's a lot of people who don't feel they're represented by these parties.
5: Yeah, and in multi-party systems, there are many people who also don't feel that they're represented by any of the parties. And I, having lived in a country that has 14 parties, I can tell you that I didn't find any that represented me. <laughs> uh, that's, a, you know, that's a sort of inherent problem of democracy. If you have a party that fits the taste of every person or every group of people, uh, you'll have hundreds or a multiplicity of parties that will make it impossible to govern. Um, and if you have any system, whether it's a two-party system or a proportional representational system or a different kind of parliament- parliamentary system, I assure you, and I've lived through this, I'm telling you from personal experience, that professional politicians will always find a way to game whatever reform you make in the electoral system. Because they're better at it than you are, and I am. That's what they're they do for a, a living. living. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, therefore, I think that if you have something that's, that, that is open to everyone, anybody can vote in this country. Anybody can join a party in this country. Anybody can run for office in this country. That's great. If, if, as PJ says, many people aren't interested, then they're not interested. But you can't force anybody. The only place I know that where people are forced to vote is in North Vietnam and uh, North, uh, North Korea.
3: Australia? Sir, right Australia? To, uh, yeah, if
0: you can stand up, I'm pointing Australia. right at you. Okay. Yep, it's Australia that's Australia.
3: it's Australia. called the donkey vote. The people that vote because And if you can get attention
0: to one of the mics, thanks.
8: <laughs> at uh, NYU, we have the privilege to have some very good faculty, including um, Professor Stephen J. Brahms, who talks about approval voting, which is um, one of the systems they talked about, where if your first choice doesn't get elected, your voice goes to your second choice and down the line. Um, it produces more democratic outcomes and would reduce polarity in the parties. My question is, um, why would this be a negative thing to institute? Why would making elect- elections more accessible to people, you know, things like approval voting or letting people vote electronically, be a bad thing? And if there are um, if there are other measures. What is a good way to explore them to bring them into the American uh, system to reform elections? To I, to no, I, don't I don't have
3: any inherent ob- objection to this. Uh, it, it, I think it's interesting that we're hearing the solutions to the problem posited here more from the audience than from the other side. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, one of the beauties of America's federalist system of our, of our, of our highly decentralized system, with all sorts of uh, with states is, are essentially in charge uh, 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 of voting laws, as long as they don't forbid people from voting because they belong to a category such as women or such as as blacks. As long uh, they actually, states have enormous latitude in, in, in control of the election laws. And, and and the fact that we have this flexible system uh would allow us to try things out like that uh maybe they would work beautifully and would produce the kind of of uh, uh, results that 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 you think that they might uh, maybe uh, they would uh, produce perverse and bizarre results uh, but I'm, we'd I'm, find out i'm thinking
0: you know? your opponents are saying though that the the system that the, the way the system runs now has such a stranglehold on the way the system runs now that those reforms are unlikely to be put into place am i anticipating
4: well i mean let's take this case right here we've got a a, a five foot six inch jewish guy who runs this city uh... mayor bloomberg he thought about running jewish (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i'm amazed he's five foot six Uh, (laughs) so he thought about running for president and he has some money i hear Uh, and so he thought well you know and, and there are a lot of people who are disaffected so could i win And then he thought, well, I could win some states, probably not all of them, but I could win some. And then it would get thrown into the House of Representatives uh, in a body staffed entirely by Republicans and Democrats. There's no way they're going to vote for me. And so he was dissuaded from running as a third-party candidate by the fact that the two parties have a stranglehold on the presidential process.
5: And this is bad? (laughs) <laughs> Depends on how you feel about Mayor Wait, Bloomberg. He, so I mean, one
4: of you guys just said Mayor Bloomberg ran the city well. I think it
3: was you.
5: I think he did run the It does run the city well. And doesn't I mean think you we want to
3: let him out of the city.
5: i <laughs> <laughs> might be, live here. <laughs> he might be a great president, by the way. I have no reason to think that he wouldn't be, and I might vote for him. But uh, the fact that a guy with $16 billion can't become president of the United States simply by buying the election, does not strike me? As a flaw in the democratic the system.
3: <laughs> yeah. <wife>, <laughs> yeah. Now I think essentially the we, we will you know the problems that, that that our opponents raise are valid problems and these but this is a democracy and these problems will be answered when we the demos demand that they be answered. Uh, there there is no like magic trick uh, that, that 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 we can I- impose to, to, to fix this. Uh, Sir, you, you,
0: you, are, you are the most aggressive hand-raiser of this evening, <coughs> so this had better be good. Passion, passion.
8: Yeah. Um, Mr. O'Rourke, you just mentioned, actually, that, um, that you're getting more responses of how to change things from the audience. I think that was what Ariana was discussing about multiple voices. So that's... Okay.
3: Just fair a, enough. Just fair <laughs> enough. I'm, I'm, that's fair <laughs> and balanced you of up? you. Indeed, indeed. Okay.
8: But my question is, actually, um, our founding fathers wanted church and state separated. I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't believe it was until the 50s until In God We Trust started getting printed on money. How do you think religion is affecting the two-party system?
3: Um, <laughs> Ew. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, I mean, you know, they, 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 they want them separated. They didn't want them extinguished, you know, e- e- either of the two uh, 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 things in, in question. Um, I actually think that, re- that, that that religion is a little bit on the decline in, in, in terms of 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 its influence I, I think it uh, probably reached its peak influence in the united states uh, with the uh, uh, with the uh, prohibition uh, uh, it was, which was not entirely church driven but there was certainly a very very strong William Jennings Bryan and the Populist Party, one of the third parties that some people may be in favor of, was a a strongly religious party. He's the guy that ended up, uh, you know, prosecuting the Monkey Trial uh, 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 on the teachings of Charles Darwin. Uh, The strongest religious influence was then. There was then a resurgence, of course, during the uh, uh, social. Uh, 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 values debate uh, uh, of the 80s. I would say at the moment it's on a bit on the decline uh, partly because fundamentalist Protestants have realized that in many ways they have a lot of things in common with uh, at least centrist Democrats in terms of social policy. Certain things they don't have in common of course uh, questions of abortion and so on. Uh, but they. But does, uh, does this relate to, uh,
0: to the two-partiness of our system?
3: necessarily yeah and i mean and there's there's no doubt that religious questions have a greater influence on on, on the republican party than, than, than they do on on the democratic party leaving reverend wright aside um, but um, yeah really i i think it's a little a little bit of an issue in decline in the united states all right. personally um, there's a
0: green striped shirt and if you could stand up please
6: uh, you're all the most qualified people to respond to this In point of fact, it's not a two-party system because there are other parties on the voting ballots, but it's the problem, the media, which makes people think it's only a two-party system.
0: Can I ask you, it's a little bit of a rephrasing of the question we had earlier about the media sort of perpetuating this sense that there are only two parties. Do you have that sense, and do you think that's a problem?
6: Yes, it seems like there's very little coverage of third-party candidates unless they're eccentric in some respect and, they and they're always presented as they're, by their, they're, ex- they're presented by their eccentricities instead of, instead of by their And what's lost positions. in that?
0: And what's lost as a result of that?
6: I don't know. <laughs> well, what
0: I'm asking is do you, feel, do you agree with this side that there are voices that are not being heard because of this? Is, Ab- that, is that a problem for you?
6: Absolutely, and the fact that the ballots always have Democrat and Republic first, I think they should be in alphabetical order because the Republicans would change the name of their party in a second. <laughs> And the fact that people run under different parties, but imo- most Americans are not educated, uh, sorry, don't approach the poll, I think, in a very thoughtful way and realize that they could vote for the same person but under a different party, mm-hmm. strengthen third parties, more money will go to third parties, money okay. follows okay. votes, and okay, people but you're over start there start compromising. Here, so i got to stop you. But uh, why, don't, why
0: don't you take on the question, because it is it is slightly different. David Brooks.
4: Well, you know, I, I do this for a living, and I sometimes go on TV shows, and the TV shows I happen to go on are, are some of the best on TV, the News Hour with Jim Lehrer, which is much less partisan shouting than most, uh, and yet the shows all of us are on uh, are your either the Republican seat or the Democratic seat, and sort of I, c- I consider myself Hamiltonian, like I've been saying, which fits very awkwardly with the current Republican Party, and yet that's my seat, that's my role, that's what I play on TV. And so it's sometimes frustrating. I can imagine for people out further outside one of those parties, it's frustrating because you're put into that slot. And I've been very struck by I think when I started doing this, people would say, are you conservative or liberal? Now people come up to me, are you Republican or Democrat? The label, Republican or Democrat, has supplanted conservative or liberal. It's not what you believe. It's what team you're on.
3: And, and that's really part of. Feel that. I mean, I feel I happen to be a Republican, but I am primarily a libertarian conservative. And when I go on shows, not quite the same quality of shows. <laughs> <that David laughs> did, goes on. <laughs> um, my place. <laughs> I'm on Bill Maher. <laughs> the uh, uh, my place is there as a sort of uh, 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 of kooky libertarian uh, 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 conservative, a guy who's really, really conservative, really, really Republican but uh you know thinks about marijuana uh it's a drug that makes teenage boys drive slow and <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with that <laughs> uh, uh and so uh i, I think that there are uh, uh broader categories uh than 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 merely de- democratic and republican
0: okay and gentlemen in the center uh if you could stand yeah that's you thank you
8: Uh, you know it would seem obviously that the audience by the fact that we're all here today is very interested in the debate and what th- the panel has to say but it would also seem that most Americans are moderate and they don't think in terms of left or right but it won't affect them and it doesn't seem that the two party system that we have today does reflect what they want as the people
0: Okay, Except so I'm taking that as a comment respect. to the side. Let's, let's have Bob uh, take Let roll. me uh, Let me agree okay. with you,
5: first of all, that m- most Americans are not here tonight.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
5: <laughs> we can prove that statistically. Statistically, yeah. the World Bank has that. <laughs> <as they've> <laughs> <laughs> um, and But I do think that statements like the people don't get what they want, uh, that may be true. I mean, you don't always in life, Right. But there are, at least there are vehicles, that's all that a democracy can offer. It can offer uh, ways to express yourself in the media, in new media, um, old media, on the street corner, in uh, groups, however you want to do it, and politically within organized parties. Are they uh, the Democrats and the Republicans, or are they, as you suggest, the Republicans should change their name to Triple A? So they'll be first on the ballot, you I know like a hole. <laughs> 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 and and
7: that,
0: that concludes problem. round two of this intelligence squared <laughs> U.S debate. And here's where we are. We are about to hear closing statements from each debater in turn. Those closing statements will be two minutes each. And remember, um, you voted before the debate, and you're going to ask, be asked to vote again right afterwards, and this is their last chance to change your minds so on to round three closing statements our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable here to speak against the motion PJ O'Rourke political satirist journalist and author of 13 books including Don't Vote It Just Encourages the Bastards
3: okay RV sloppy political system keeps America away from abstract political theories. See, the whole 20th century was an experiment in abstract political theory, vigorously applied in places like Italy, Germany, Spain, Russia, China, North Korea, Cuba, also in Rhodesia and apartheid South Africa, and among some of my loonier friends who joined the weather underground. You know? Away from abstract political theory is a good place to be. Our compromised and compromising system, with its messy conflicts and its fitful bipartisanship, keeps governance close to real life. Because in reality, we all contain within ourselves elements of the Democrat and the Republican. We are conservatives when we catch the kids smoking pot, and we're quite liberal when we catch ourselves doing it. No one ever says, oh, goody, when it's time to pay taxes, and no one ever turns down a government benefit. You know? Abandoning the two-party system would mean abandoning a great truth, the truth that we're all of two minds about politics. You know, Greater certainty in our political opinions would mean more politics, more arguments, more strife. We don't need that. We've got enough. Giving up on the lame old political generalities of Democrats and Republicans would make politics more important in America. Now, as a reporter, I have spent a lot of time in places where politics are a life-or-death matter. Let's not go there, you know. Indeed, my closing argument is a simple plea for personal mercy. I've been covering American politics for 40 years two parties is as many as I can stand. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you,
0: P.J. O'Rourke. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. And here to speak for the motion, Arianna Huffington, President and Editor-in-Chief of the Huffington Post Media Group.
2: So if all you care about here tonight is to make P.J.'s life easier, vote against this motion. (laughs) If you care about making the life of the country better, vote with us. Basically, the two-party system is like a stale marriage. Democrats and Republicans need something to spice it up. They need to go on Craigslist and find a third party. (laughs) And, And if that third party isn't wearing a shirt, they really should do a background check. Because he may turn out to be a member of Congress, and you don't want to go there. So I remember in 2000, I organized the shadow conventions. The shadow conventions were intended to address issues that the two political parties were not addressing. And those issues were the growing income inequalities, the failed war on drugs that has put more African Americans in jail than they have jobs at the moment, And also the problem that was addressed here tonight of campaign finance reform and the desperate need to do that. Since 2000, all these problems have gotten worse. And they have gotten worse because the two-party system has made this country ungovernable. And unless you give up on the idea of America becoming a more perfect union, unless you give up on the idea of us being able to really live up to the American dream of our ancestors, then you got to vote with David and me.
0: Thank you, Arianna Huffington. Our motion is the two-party system is making America ungovernable. Here to summarize his position against the motion, Sev Chafetz, a columnist and author of 12 books and founding editor of the
5: Jerusalem Report. Uh, Ninety-nine years ago, uh, a guy stood up at a political convention, a third-party convention, and he said, We stand at Armageddon, and we battle for the Lord. That was Teddy Roosevelt. Armageddon was Woodrow Wilson. It's always Armageddon for people who have that tendency. And it's good that there are people who think it's Armageddon because they push. That's a good thing. I support that. I'm in favor of it. There's a place for it in the political parties. But tonight we're talking about a specific motion, which is uh, that the two-party system is making America ungovernable. In order for you to vote for that, you have to agree to two things. You have to agree that America is becoming ungovernable, or perhaps it is already, as Arianna said in the beginning, has become ungovernable. I don't think that that's the case. I don't think that any of you who came here today by car, by bus, by train, by plane, however you got here, traveled through a space which anyone could regard as ungovernable. America is a highly governed country. It has flaws. It has problems. It has economic uh, inequalities. All of these things have existed, and they'll continue to exist. They're part of the human condition. America needs to be uh, a a more perfect society. It can't be a perfect society because no society is perfect. The second proposition that you have to agree to, even if you think that the world that America, as you know it, is ungovernable, ungovernable, you have to believe that the reason that it's ungovernable, that the HP disaster took place and the Virginia mining disaster took place and all the other disasters took place, is because of the two party system. And I don't really think that you can make that case. And therefore, I implore you to vote for our side.
0: Thank you, Zeph Our. Motion. The two-party system is making America ungovernable, and here to summarize his position in favor of this motion, David Brooks, New York Times op-ed columnist, commentator on the News Hour, and coming out in a matter of weeks with a new book called The Social Animal. Uh,
4: many of you have been, have been looking at our side, at our table, and thought, those two are so much alike. Uh, Ariana's a glamorous woman with con- continental manners. I aspire to be the fittest fat person in America. Ariana created a business in which people write for free, and she sold it for more than $300 million. (laughs) I have three credit cards, one of which I can use at any time. (laughs) Throughout this entire debate, she's been texting Matt Damon and Fergie. Uh, I've seen the board identity. Uh, Ariana and I agree on most things. In fact, I I think I can safely say I agree with Zev and PJ a lot more than I agree with Ariana. Uh, And yet, if Ariana and I sat in a room, and talked about the big issues facing our country, I bet we could reach some plausible solutions. But if we were elected to the two parties as they currently exist, we would never get in the same room, because those two parties have gotten much more rigid. So if you, so, when I take a look at the issues that are before us, and those issues have been elided, I think, during this debate. Immigration, a vital issue about which the two parties can reach no agreement. Debt, a vital issue about which the two parties can reach no agreement. Wage stagnation and inequality, a long-growing issue about which the two parties can reach no agreement. Campaign finance, I could go on. These are all concrete issues that are right here in front of us. If you see a way for our current two-party system, if you see an avenue for them to reach agreement and solutions on these issues, even imperfect solutions, well, then vote for the guys in the red ties. Uh, But if you don't, vote for the glamorous side. Thank you.
3: David Brooks,
0: and that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to find out which side you feel argued best. We want to ask you again to go to the keypads at your seat to register your vote. Reminding you you voted once before, and the team that has changed the most minds after this vote will be declared our winner. Our motion is the two party system is making America ungovernable. If you agree, push number one. if you disagree, push number two, and if you are or became undecided, push number three and we 're going to have the votes in just a minute, and i 'm going to uh, announce the raw the, 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 the winner of the debate. Immediately afterwards, um, we're going to put up on the screen how the numbers broke down according to uh, party affiliations that you registered when you came in. I won't be announcing those, but you can look at them on the board afterwards, or you can visit us online. Um, A few other things I want to take care of. First of all, um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this debate uh, like perhaps none other. This group has been absolutely terrific. I want to thank them. For, for being smart as well as engaging and entertaining. I also want to draw attention to one of the unsung heroes of this series, Dana Wolf, who puts these things on all the time, sitting in the front row. At a minimum, you could raise your hand. There you go. Um, and I also want to thank uh, the American Clean Skies Foundation who has underwritten this entire season of debates, and thank you to them. And, and, and what this season is about, through the, through the spring, this winter and spring, the theme is America's House Divided. Uh, that's what tonight was part of under that umbrella. And our next debate on Tuesday, the uh, 8th of March, we'll, the, the topic is Clean Energy Can Drive America's Economic Recovery. Arguing for that motion, we'll have Bill Ritter, the former governor of California, who adopted one of the nation's strictest renewable energy mandates, and whose state has the fourth largest concentration of clean energy workers in the country. Joining him will be Dan Reicher, the former uh, director of uh, climate change and energy initiatives at Google, who served as assistant secretary of energy under Bill Clinton. He now leads a new new interdisciplinary center. I said ungovernable and ungovernability so well so many times. (laughs) Uh, At Stanford to advance clean energy technology, and arguing against that motion will be Robert Bryce, who is the author of Power Hungry, the Myths of Green Energy and the Real Fuels of the Future, and a self-described, quote, liberal who got mugged by the laws of thermodynamics. And his partner will be Stephen Hayward, the author of Mere Environmentalism, an examination of the philosophical presuppositions underlying the environmental movement. I wish i had written this myself. Tickets are available through our website and also at the Skirball box office. And don't forget to follow Intelligence Squared U.S. on Twitter. And make sure to become a fan on Facebook, and you'll receive a discount on upcoming debates. For those of you who would like to know more about our debate topics, you can go to our website, and we have research on tonight's debate, uh, arguments for and against, and on also uh, the debates that will be coming up. And our website is... IQ2US.org. All of our debates, as I said at the beginning, can be heard on NPR stations across the country, and you can watch them on the Bloomberg Television Network starting next Monday at 9 o'clock, and you just have to visit Bloomberg.com to find your local channel. Perfect timing. Did I say California? That's odd because it actually says Colorado on the page in front of me. Somebody just told me in my ear that I misspoke. Uh, Bill Ritter, the former governor of Colorado, just for the record. Okay, so it's all in now. Remember, our motion is is the two-party system is making America ungovernable, and the team that has changed the most minds in the course of this debate will be declared our winner. So here are the results. Before the debate, 46% were for the motion, 24% against, and 30% were undecided. After the debate, 50% are for the motion. That's up 4%. 40% 40% are for the motion, that's up 16%. 10% are undecided. The team arguing against the motion, the two party system is making America ungovernable, has carried the debate. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared US. Oh, I said what? Can I have your patience? I misread the numbers. Uh, these numbers are correct, but I misread them. I'm just going to do it one more time. And your lovely, perfectly timed burst of applause was, you did great, but, <laughs> but not me. Here are the results. Before the debate, 46% were for the motion, 24% against, and 30% undecided. After the debate, 50% were for the motion. That's up 4%. 40% were against, that's up 16%, and 10% were undecided. The side against the motion, the two-party system is making America ungovernable, has carried the debate. Our congratulations to them. And thank you from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. I don't know how I did that.